I want you to uh, follow with me today. I'm going to give you some uh, scripture to look at that may take you a moment to, to find. So I need you to be in Zechariah. Yeah, we're going, we're going over in the old T, the OT, to Zechariah. And then I'd like for you to have your finger in the book of Ezra. Ezra, Zechariah. And I want to bring a message to you today on how to start again. Because for those of you who have lived long enough, you can probably testify, and you may even want to say a, a little amen right here, that there are seasons in your life where you are standing at the edge, you are standing at a crossroads, and you're trying to figure out if you want to give up and quit, mm. or if you're going to start again. If you have lived long enough, you have been to that crossroads and you have pondered in your mind and in your heart, God, I don't know if I've got the strength to do it again. And, and, and you're just trying to, to, to make that decision. And so uh, I'm going to let you make that decision, but I want to help out on the end that when you have made your mind up, I want you to know what the Lord says when it's time to start again. I want you to know, I want you to be informed, and I want you to be ready. And so if you are in Ezra, we will start over in Ezra chapter 2, and we find out in Ezra chapter 2 that the Israelites are returning to Jerusalem from Babylon. Now, there is a man named Zerubbabel. If some of y'all are pregnant and looking for a name for your child. That one has not been used much. I think it would be fantastic. I feel like I have practiced all week long to try not to mess that name up, okay? You have to just try to say it kind of fast. Zero bubble. Okay? I'll probably say it about five times, five different ways, Bear. Just bear with me, okay? Yeah, so they, the, the Israelites are returning with the governor, Zero bubble, and if you want to know, well, why are they returning? What are they returning from? They have been in captivity. They have been in captivity to Babylon for 70 years. 70 years. And, and now they are coming out. And, and if you want to know, well, well, what put them in that situation? What put them in that condition that they would be taken captive by Babylon well, then we will turn to the prophet Zechariah, and we'll go over to uh, Zechariah chapter 7. I was reading Zechariah, by the way, this week. There's, I think, 14 chapters. I was reading it, and I ran across this chapter and verse, Zechariah 7, 13. Here's what it says. And just as he called, and they would not listen, so they called, and I would not listen. Man, when I read that, it hit me like a ton of bricks. They said, and he, and just as he called, and they would not listen, so they called, and I would not listen, said the Lord of hosts. Now, I don't want any of you to think that God can't hear what's going on in your life, because he is always hearing. But some of you have been parents long enough to know that there is a difference between hearing and listening. Amen? There is a difference between hearing and listening. Sometimes our children 
hear us, but they're not listening. Caden, are you listening? He's back in the back. He said, I hear you. The people of Israel stopped wanting to hear the voice of the Lord. They stopped caring what God said. And this weird thing happens. I don't know if it's happened to you or not, but, but when you stop wanting to hear God and you start doing your own thing and you enter into sin, your life becomes weaker. Have you ever noticed that? That when you give yourself over to sin, when you fall into disobedience, you become weaker. Israel always became weaker. That's why Israel is such a good example for us today on how to start again. Because they had to start again so many times. But because they would fall into the traps of sin and they would become weak. And when they became weak, someone would overtake them. Because the reality was they were being kept by the strength of the Lord, not their own strength. So see, when they, plugged this, when they unplugged themselves from God, they no longer had His strength, and He gave them over to the enemy. And so Babylon took them captive, and it's time to come out of that captivity. And so... The Lord said to them, I'm turning my heart to you. I want you to come back out of Babylon. Which brings me to the first point when it is time to start again. You need three things from the very beginning. You need the will, the want to, and the timing of God. You might want to write that down. I think that was good enough to write down. The will, the want to, and the timing of God. Now two of those are God and one of those is yours. The will of God. Do you know what the will of God is for your life? That's why we have the word of God. That's why we have the, the Holy Spirit. And so if we're going to build again, we have to know the will of God. And then we got to want to do it. I have known the will of God sometimes and didn't want to do it. Israel had to get into the position where they wanted to follow God, and it took 70 years to do it. How long will it take for us to want to do the will of God? How long will it take for us to want to do the will of God? I bet you from the day that they entered into captivity, now here's what Babylon would do. They would uproot you from your country, and they would take you to their country and make you like them. Oh, won't sin do that to you? Yeah. And, and, and from the very day they entered into captivity, I bet they wanted out. I bet from that very day one, it didn't take them 70 years to say, you know what, this is bad shape. I, I think I need out of this. No, from day one, they knew that they wanted out. But man, there's sometimes we get into sin and we're not really repenting. We're not really wanting to do the will of God. We just want out of trouble. That's not true repentance. You see, our heart hasn't changed. And sometimes God will let you cook. Did he ever let you cook? And he said, I know you won't out, but you aren't ready. 
You're not ready. Your heart is not changed. You're not repentant yet. You don't want to change yet. So you have to have the will of God, and then you have to have the want to. And then this third one, and honestly, Molly, sometimes this third one, the timing of God. Because I'm the kind of person that if I know the will of God and I want to do it, my natural inclination is, well, let's go on and do it. Come on. Let's get at it. Right? Some of y'all are like me. If I know the will of God and I want to do it, let's go. Do you realize that there are times that God will tell you what to do and you will want to do it, but it's not time for it. Things are not ready yet. Everything is not in place. It took 70 years to get the right king in place so that when they started to rebuild, they wouldn't have to stop again. So I will tell you that we need the will of God. We have to desire to do that, and then we have to operate in the, the timing of God. Now, here's what they did. They started building the temple first. Which is interesting because the whole city is leveled. I mean, there is nothing. There is no temple. There is no city. There is no wall around that city. There is nothing. And we find in Ezra 4 that Zerubbabel begins to rebuild. And what does he do first? He lays the foundation for the temple. They build the temple first. That's not what I would have built first. Remember, the temple's destroyed, the city's destroyed, the wall around the city is destroyed. I just believe that all of us practical people would have gotten together and said, you know what we need to build first? What do we need to build first? Let's put the wall up. Let's make sure we can't get attacked again. Let's make sure we've got some security about ourselves. Let's build the wall first. Zerubbabel comes and he says, guess what God wants to build first? God said, build the temple. Huh. Is it just me or is there a lesson in that? I believe the lesson is this. That when everything around you is a mess and your desire is to rebuild your family or restart your career or get another relationship or start it all over again to create security for yourself. God says, uh, excuse me, I'd like to start with the temple. I'd like to start here. Yeah. Yeah. He said, what I need you to do is I need you to lay a foundation. And the way you laid a foundation in those days is everything was built out of stone. And in order to lay a foundation, now are you with me? Because Zechariah can do some prophesying about Jesus like hardly anybody else can. Only Isaiah can prophesy about Jesus better than Isaiah, or more often I should say. But if you're going to lay a foundation in those days, you have to start with a cornerstone. Oh, I should have got a louder amen in that. You... If, if you're going to build a temple, you got to set a foundation. But if you're going to set a foundation, you got to set a cornerstone. What is a cornerstone? It is the stone that sets everything else in place. You plumb it up, and you level it up, and you line it up. 
Because every other stone that goes into that foundation is going to find its place in the cornerstone. That was better than I think somebody got. <laughs> so your temptation is, I need to rebuild my family. We're a mess. Can I tell you what you need to do first? You need to lay a foundation. You need to lay a foundation in the Word of God. And you need to set a cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. You may say, I've lost my career because of this COVID thing, and I've got to start all over again. Can I tell you that what you need to do is not worry about your career right now. You need to lay a foundation. And in order to lay that foundation, Jesus Christ has got to be the cornerstone. And a lot of things have been going on in the church. This COVID thing has disrupted church. And a lot of us as pastors are talking and it feels like we're starting over and we're having to rebuild. Can I tell you that when you start building a church, you can't build a church unless you lay a foundation on the Word of God. And you can't lay a foundation on the Word of God unless you set the cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ Himself. And you cannot repair this city, the city of Chester, or the city of Baltimore, or Detroit, or any other city in the world unless you lay a foundation first. And you establish Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. And then I look at Zechariah chapter 4, I want to read some scripture to you beginning in verse 6. It says this, Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You will become a plain, and he will bring forth a top stone with shouts of grace, grace to it. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hand of Zerubbabel having laid the foundation of this house and his hands will finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you for who has despised the day of small things. Wow. <laughs> so we know the will of God and we want to do it. And we've got the timing of God. And we realize that before we can ever build our cities, whatever that means to us, we've got to lay a foundation. And we've got to set Jesus Christ as the, as the chief cornerstone. And then once we do that, now we have the confidence that when we go out and build, whatever it is, whatever you are starting over, you're now not building it based on your strength or your might you're doing it on the power and the might of the Spirit of God. God says, if you do my will, then I'll fund it. Mm. If you're doing my will, I'll send you the help you need. If you're doing my will, I'll defend you when the opposition comes. Oh, I'm so grateful for Zechariah because old Zerubbabel... Can you imagine the opposition that he had? And he's feeling a little discouraged and he's feeling a little defeated. And all of a sudden, Zechariah comes to him and says these words. He says, don't you worry. It's not by might nor my power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Oh, Zerubbabel said, that sounds like good news. <laughs> and he looked at Zerubbabel and he said, and don't despise the day of small things. 
the day of, of small beginnings. And so here's what I want to tell you. When you know that you're doing the will of God, you can have the confidence that God will finish it. That you will finish it. It says you will finish it. His hands. It gives us this confidence. And, and I started thinking about that. And here's what I came up with. Who can build or who can rebuild what God has not blessed? Hmm. I'm going to say that one more time. Who can build or rebuild what God has not blessed? How many times are we trying to build something, but we didn't ask God? So why would we even want to try to build that thing when God hasn't blessed it? <laughs> I can say that I know what it is like to try to build something that God hasn't blessed. Anybody in the room say, I got you, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yet sometimes we can be so hard-headed that when things break down, we restart and we just double down on that thing. And the question we probably ask, or should ask, is this. Do you think God wants you to? Do you think He wants you to build that? Do you think He wants you to rebuild that? Maybe God's not in it. That's why you have to know the will of God. But then, if you can say in your heart, yes, yes, I believe that's the will of God, then the other is true. Who can overthrow what God has ordained? Huh? <laughs> that gets me just a little bit excited. Who can overthrow what God has ordained? It doesn't matter at that point. If you are doing the will of God and you have the desire to do it, and now God has added His Spirit to it, it doesn't matter the opposition the devil himself can come against you. And God says, I'll do it. And so we need to just sit and ponder sometimes, what in the world are we building? And is God even in it? And there may be some things that we have to stop and say, you know what? God's not in it. And just let it go. Churches are notorious for hanging on to things that God has left. I mean, we'll sit on a dead horse. And, and we'll call people to it. If we just had more people, then surely it'll work. And I think that there are times that the Holy Spirit is standing over that thing going, Child, it's dead. It's been dead. Get off the dead horse but he's always got another horse. He has a will. He has a purpose for your life. And we got to be the people who desire that more than we desire life. That we desire his will more than we desire anything else. That we don't want to build anything unless God builds it. <laughs> and then once that is established, and you begin to put your hands to the work then you have entered into a most beautiful day. You've entered into God's day. You want to know what God's day is? 
For who has despised the day of small things? You want to know God's day? God's day is the day that the small things begin. God's day is the day that you put your hands to the foundation. That you set the cornerstone. That's God's day. And can I tell you that the news and reporter may not show up that day. And, and CNN and Fox News may not cover it when you start that day. In fact, you may start that day and you think that a, a whole group of people are going to do it. Because it's the will of God, right? So it's like we're doing the will of God. Like there'll be more people than we know what to do with. And you show up and lo and behold, you all by yourself. You thought that people were going to help you. You, you thought that other believers were going to come alongside of you and, and help you, but you showed up and the, and the work party was small. But that was God's day. And that was your day. And God smiled at that day because He said they're starting the work. And when you start the work on that day, you will probably get a mixture of praise and criticism. We've, we've lived, some of us have lived long enough to know that. Others of us need to be reminded that when you, when you start that work, you will get a mixture of some people who will praise you and be excited for what you are doing. And some people will be against you. And some people will weep at the day of your small beginnings. You want to know how I know that? Because that is exactly what happened. When they started building this temple back, it took them two years to lay a foundation. And then some people came and they said, we want to help you. <laughs> Can I tell you that just because some people show up and say they want to help you, don't mean they want to help you. And in fact, there are some people who will show up and say they want to help you. And you need to look at them and say, thanks, but no thanks. I don't need your kind of help. That's what Zerubbabel did. He looked at them and saw, these are not friends, these are foes. And, and Zerubbabel looked at them and he said, we don't need your help. Well, they left, got the feelings hurt, went and talked to the king, got a cease and desist order on building the temple. I'm not making this up. Went to the king, got a cease and desist letter. The king said, you better stop that work right now. For 17 years, the work on that temple stopped. Sometimes when you stop, start working, you end up stopping again. You run up against opposition. And for 17 years, they couldn't build. And then Zechariah came, and he said, it's time to build again. Let's get going. Zerubbabel put his hands to the work, and there was people, they were shouting, and they were blowing trumpets, and they were like, "Woo! the temple is being built. And then Zerubbabel said, wait a minute, what is that sound I hear? And he kept listening for the sound, and there were people crying. He was building the temple, but there were, there were people that were praising God, but then there were people that were literally weeping. Do you know who were weeping? It was the people who had lived during the first temple. Oh, hold on. I think I can get to something here. 
I believe it was the people who had not seen the first temple that was just excited to have one built. They were excited and praising God. Yes, the temple is being built. But it was the people who remembered the old temple that looked at it and said, that's not as big as the first temple. Any of y'all ever met anybody like that? Like, like that thing you're doing, is, it's not as good as uh, whatever. You know, it's, they looked at it and they said, it, it's smaller than the first temple. And they said, Solomon's temple, that was the first temple. Solomon's temple, it was, it was grand. And it had all these, this ornamentation. This thing's just plain. It, it, it's, just, it's just not the, the same. And they started to cry. And they said, the, the Ark of the Covenant is not here. And so we don't have that to put inside. I don't have time to tell you about all that if you don't know about it. But it, the presence of God followed this Ark. And, and when the first temple was built, the Shekinah glory came down and the presence of God filled the temple. And when they built this temple, everybody stood and waited and it was like, where's God? He didn't come like he did the, the first time. Can I tell you that Christians are notorious for wanting to do it like they used to do it? I know you've heard that message, but let me remind you again. As Christians, we can be some of the most stubborn people. And, and we cannot follow what God is doing today because we still have in mind what God was doing yesterday. And for that, God said, I got to send another prophet, which is Haggai. So you got to back up one. Can I tell you that when God's people are struggling, he needs the prophets to speak. Molly came in this morning and encouraged my heart, blessed my heart, gave, gave strength to my bones for the, for the message today. There are times when you're struggling and when you are discouraged and you need a word. And Haggai comes and he says, y'all don't worry about this. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former glory. <laughs> but some of those people that remember the first temple, they looked at it and said, I ain't seeing it. I, I just don't, I don't see it. Haggai said, wait for it, wait for it. The, the glory of the, the latter house will be greater than the glory of the first house. So they keep building. It takes them four years to build the temple. And they don't see the presence of God like they thought they were going to see it. <laughs> you remember Paul Harvey said the rest of the story? Anybody ever remember that? You want the rest of the story? The glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former house. The second temple is going to have greater glory than the first temple. Took 500 years later for them to understand what happened. A man walked into the temple. And he walked in as the son of man. And he walked in as the son of God. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, filled the temple. Hallelujah. Woo! <laughs> they didn't see that one coming. There are times when you're doing the will of God, you don't know what He's up to. You can't quite figure out everything that's going to happen. You can't see 500 plus years down the road. The, the prophet Isaiah saw it and said, don't worry about it. You just build. And so the 
Son of Man and the Son of God, the Messiah, came into the temple and he would go on to die on a cross and he would set up a new covenant with us. And this new covenant said, God does not dwell in buildings made of stone. He dwells in our bodies. Your body is the temple of God. Woo, that's better. That's better. Because you don't have to travel to Jerusalem now to find the presence of God. The Holy Spirit will indwell your body, your temple. And now the question is this. Is it time for you to build again? Is it time for you to start over in some area of your life? And if it is, can I tell you... That this is God's day for you. This is God's day. There may not be a news report. Nobody may be here to help you do it. But if it is the will of God and you have the want to. And you wait for the timing of God. And you establish the foundation of the word of God in your life. And Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. Then you can say, it doesn't matter about my might. It doesn't matter about my power. The Holy Spirit will accomplish it. He will finish what I set my hands to. But there's just this one last thing I need to tell you. And it seems to get all of us. In order to finish something that God has given you to do. <laughs> you're going to have to start. If you're going to finish anything. That God wants you to do. You're going to have to start. It's today the day that you start. There are some things that you can do right now. What you can do right now is decide on what the will of God for your life is. In every area of your life. You can establish the throne of God in your heart. You can do that right now. You can wait for the timing of God. I thought, man, how appropriate in this season that we're in. I, I just put down a few, and, and you fill in the blanks for your own lives. But there may be some teachers. You may be sitting at home, and you hear this, but you, we, we're not teaching the way we used to teach. Some teachers went to school, have been teaching for 20 and 30 years, and all of a sudden, they're having to start again, having to learn how to teach from computers and virtually and I'd just like to say to any of those that are in education and, and teaching that it's okay. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. You, you might not be as good with that computer as you were with that whiteboard, but it's okay. God will let you finish. Some of you as parents have been struggling with what to do with your children, and, and now you're trying to decide if you've got to stay at home because now you're also part of the education team. I heard one person say it was one thing I thought was funny and one shouldn't have been funny. But they said, man, we've been praying for a long time to get prayer back in school. Well, when all these kids went home, we got prayer back in school. <laughs> and they said there were a lot more teachers started drinking too. But that's a bad joke for another time. As I said earlier, churches, this thing... Brantley and I had to drive over to Union about three weeks ago, and we passed probably, I don't know, close to a dozen churches. And uh, I would say that the majority of them were not meeting. 
And as pastors, I can tell you that it looks like we feel a little bit like Zerubbabel. It's like, oh, Lord, we, you know, we thought we had something. And then all of a sudden this COVID thing comes and shuts every church down in the United States. Can I just say I don't think it was supposed to be like that? I don't think it was supposed to be like that. But we're trying to figure out what to, to do. And, and here is one thing that I think we need to ponder on. Maybe God is wanting to do something different. Maybe God is wanting to do something new. Maybe it wouldn't in any way compromise this word in any way. It wouldn't compromise the Holy Spirit. In fact, it would be led by the word and led by the spirit. And it would be God saying to us, this is what I want for this season of preparation. And as the church, we've got to be ready to to embrace that. Some people have lost jobs. This one was on my heart this week. If you have fallen to addiction this week and you said, I did it again. I, I did that thing I didn't want to do. Then can I tell you that the only way to be sober for 25 years is to start again? Is to start again. When you have failed miserably and you say, I keep going back to that same place over and over again. Can I tell you that the mercy of God is new every day? Can I tell you that if you're here, there's probably new mercy. That if you have fallen to addiction today, that you can start again. If you have fallen in sin, you can, you can start again. I think that that is part of the Christian life. It is falling, but need I say falling forward? Can I say that? You may not be able to walk out this Christian life without falling. But you can fall forward. You know how you fall forward? By starting again. By crying out to God like Israel. God, we did it again. We left you again. We lost our strength again. But we're starting again. Praise team, would you come and sing that last song? Because it got me excited. And I think that when you're starting again, you ought to be excited. There, there's two ways you can look at that. When you start again, you can look at it like Rudyard Kipling. It's a poem called If. It's my favorite poem. If you ever are, some of you guys are like, dude, poetry? Listen, it's a good poem, okay? It's a good poem. But he has this phrase in the poem. He says, if you can look at triumph or disaster and treat those two imposters as just the same. You ever found that out in life? That sometimes what you thought was a great victory really wasn't victory at all. It was like the devil in disguise. And there were times that you saw something and it looked like a great defeat. And yet somehow cloaked within that defeat was the very hand of God moving in your life. So you treat those two disasters as, as uh, triumph and disaster as one and the same. And then he says, if you can wash the things that you put your hands to broken. And if you can bend down and build them up with worn out tools. Sometimes it feels like that. Sometimes it feels like that something that you put your life to has been broken and now you're having to bend down with some old worn out tools and you're having to build again. But I can tell you that that is not a sad day. What you have to do is stop looking at the old temple. 
You have to stop looking at the way it used to be. You have to stop looking at the things that you've lost. You have to let those things be the past. And you have to say, you know what? This is God's day. This is a new beginning day. This is not a sorrowful thing. I don't know what God is doing, but I'm going to follow His will. And I've got to want to. And it may be 500 years in the future before I see what God is doing. Church, wouldn't that be something? Leaders, wouldn't that be something that we get to heaven and God says, thank you. That you didn't despise the day of small beginnings. And what you did on that day in your life has brought forth a harvest that took 520 years in the making. Is there any farmer in the room that would sow that seed? today that you say I'd be willing I'll sow that seed in my life today so that my kids can have something so that the church will be better off so that the world will be better off